Samson, the fruit of faith for the glory of God. Welcome. This is Way of Grace from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. Our teacher and pastor, Jessica Stan, brings us back to the book of Judges as we explore the life of Samson. Today, we're focusing in on his parents and the fruit of faith, their son, Samson, through much prayer. They get a visitation from the Holy Spirit, well, from an angel. Let's check in for more, shall we? Here's Pastor Jesse with today's broadcast of Way of Grace. And the angel of the Lord came through. Bless, bless Manoah's wife's name. They have some speculations about her name. I'll talk about that later. But right now, note it. Note that the angel of the Lord came to her. And he spoke to her. It's a beautiful truth. I'm looking into this. So under point number two, let me just get to our second sub point, which is obvious. She was barren for the what? Glory of God. That's right. So get that. Sometimes God is holding back and blessing us because it's for his glory. She was barren for his glory. Yeah. So you remember they're living in a culture when everybody is stupid. Everybody's fleshly. Everybody's assuming just because you enter into physical, physical conjugation, you're going to have a baby. Now you're taking God's glory from him. You're not celebrating. You're not running around the house. You're not worshiping. You're not saying, thank you, Lord. Because all of the fruit of the womb is the Lord's. But you didn't just went about the perfunctory action, the mechanical process and conception that comes, occurs and you go, ho-hum. Now you didn't stole God's glory. It's a wonderful thing for God to hold you up for a long time for his glory. So by the time we conceived, we didn't discover that it was of the Lord's mercy that we conceived. And this is what's happening with our text in front of us now. Barren for the glory of God. This is the theme of faith. You know that our, 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 our uh, spiritual father, Abraham, and our spiritual mother, uh, Sarah were barren for a long time. Then the same thing was true with Rebecca. And then again with Rachel. And so barrenness is a kind of natural paradigm, a natural normal for the people of God to not immediately enter into the blessings until after a long struggle of character development. And that's where we are here, too. So let's learn a few things about this. Point number three. I want to move on. Point number three to kind of build this. So I stated that the hope of faith is revealed. It's not revealed by you, not revealed by me, not revealed in us. It's revealed to us by the angel of the Lord. And this is where we believe in special revelation. This is where we believe in the analogy of special revelation in the function of worship and proclamation. Like, the angel of the Lord should be speaking to you today. Jehovah's Malak should be talking to some of you right now. That's what we believe. Listen, Manoah and his wife are in worship right now. And the preacher is God's son, Jesus the Christ. And he's laying out before them his plan for them. I can go deep. We can go deep. The point is, understand, these are paradigms of where we are every time we worship God in spirit and in the truth. Remember, we're the bride of Christ. We're the ones that are barren. We're the ones that need conceiving and conception and bringing forth. 
We're the ones that need to hear God's plan opened up and revealed to us from heaven. So point number three, the promise of a son, what? Prophesied. The promise of a son prophesied. Look at verses four through six. Here it is. Now, therefore, beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine, nor strong drink. Eat not any unclean thing. For lo, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistine. Do you see that? A set of instructions, particular and clear, given by the angel of the Lord to the woman who's going to bear the promise. So what we have is a subject-object relationship where God has sent his ambassador. This angel of the Lord is the Lord Jesus. He's the one in the promised land as the captain of their salvation and as the messenger letting the people of God know that he is still with them even in all their trouble. This ought to make you feel good. See, it ought to make you feel God because God will not leave you nor forsake you, but he'll let you suffer. But if he's your, if you're his and he bought you, he's going to be right there. And when you are in a proper place of mindset to hear from God, the Lord's going to speak to you. And so here is Manoah's wife. You and I know she's struggling with being barren. Every Jewish woman wanted to have a man child. And here comes the angel of the Lord. And what he says to her specifically is, hello, listen, I know your problem. So this is the angel of the Lord speaking prophetically. I know your problem. She knew her problem too. But he says, I know your problem, but you're going to bear a child. Now she's put in the paradox of barrenness and hopefulness, is she not? Now she's got to actually believe that she's hearing a divine initiative because you and I are human. You know, you can really struggle with listening to God. You can have a hard time with the preaching. You can have a hard time with the preaching and God can be speaking to you as as clear as God speaks and you still may not want to believe it. But here, the angel of the Lord not only is telling her that she's going to conceive, she's going to conceive a son and this is how your son is to be raised. Listen to me, young people. The child that will enter into your womb is not yours. He or she and they are gods. And you have a job to prepare that child to meet their God. The text would speak to us about some very important biological factors. We've talked about them before. These are very clear scientific, biblical, theological, sociological factors about a divine God that knows us better than we know ourselves. So he's saying to Manoah's wife, because he knows he can trust her, because she's a real worshiper of God. This is what I want you to do with this boy when he gets here. I want you to sanctify him wholly unto me. Now we're moving into the second vow that I talked to you about from Jephthah. Do you guys remember? Vows. This is where we are in our Christian world with men and women who don't make vows because we don't have the character. So Jephthah made a vow and Hannah made a vow. And now God's making a vow. See, this vow is not coming from them. This vow is coming from God. God is saying, I vow 
upon this child a destiny and I am trusting you to cooperate with me so we can get it done. And so, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the what? And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. I'll tap on this second part uh, uh, more particularly here just a little bit. And then I'll highlight why he made the observation that he did. Under point number two, the hope of faith revealed two things. We're married to faith, bearing for the glory of God. But a promise comes, a promise of a son. And sub point A makes it very clear. The child is sanctified where? This is so profound. Verse four and five clearly lays out the child is not here yet, but the child will be here. And when the child is here, this is what I want you to do. I want you to know that the child in your womb is no different than the child out of the womb. I want you to know that the child in the womb is no different than the child out of the womb. I want you to know not to think irrationally. In this, this, again, postmodern fantasy of making the assumption that a child in the womb is different than the child out of the womb. It is not. It is a child in the womb. And I want you to act toward that child in the womb as if the child was out of the womb. Also, more than that, mama, I want you to act toward that child that's in your womb as if you are the child. There's time for you and the child to understand your ontological unity. The biological correlation between the health of the child and the health of the mother. This is why I told you a little while ago, you didn't get it. You don't want to be acting a fool and then asking God to let y'all have babies. Because parents that act a fool end up having babies that. Now, that's not altogether axiomatic, but. Not altogether axiomatic, but the fruit don't fall far from the tree. Okay, so I'm going to help some of you who are really wanting to be good believers. Told you it was going to hurt because it's true. So what we'll do is we'll often believe God for other people and won't believe God for ourselves. What we will often do is believe God will protect people that we care about from us. So, Lord, I'm going to act a fool, but protect my baby from me acting a fool. Am I making some sense? I'm going to be stupid. I'm going to be flamboyant. I'm going to be anxious. I'm going to be uh, driven to hypertension. I'm going to be clamorous. I'm a clown all during my pregnancy. And I want this child to come out as calm as Socrates. (laughs) So you guys do understand just a little bit about the biological factors of epigenetics, right? the correlation between behavior patterns of the parent and, uh, being passed on to the children genetically, sociologically, even in the womb. This is factually true. This is factually true. God knew this all along. Now, notice what God says. All right, I don't want you getting drunk. So there's a little inference here that as a Philistine, drinking was high on the list of, of, of church folk. I'm going to just leave that there. That'll catch up with you in a minute. Time to, time to put the alcohol down. Time to put it down because alcohol makes you stupid. And stupid parents will produce stupid children. So put the alcohol down. You got to try to do this now, Manoah's wife, for at least nine months. Get a boy a chance. You keeping up with me? Oh, yeah. The other thing I want to make sure you do, I want to make sure you don't even come near a grapevine. 
You know what that means? When you're exercising, quit playing so close to the line. Well, I think I'm going to just go jogging over in Napa. Y'all keeping up with me? So we, we pushed the envelope. We pushed the envelope. But see, consecration and separation is designed to demonstrate whether or not we have enough discipline to temper ourselves and our liberties for other people. Am I making some sense? Right. Consecration and sanctification. It's the capacity, the virtue, the power for us to actually abstain for the benefit and blessing of others. It may be your liberty, but it's not your necessity. And in this context, the child is the most important thing in this relationship. And I don't think we get that. I think we're such idolaters that even when we have a child in the equation, we're wrestling with the man and the woman over stupid stuff. When what should be the most important thing is that life that God put in the womb. Give him or her a chance to be all that God wants them to be. It's really true. We're jacked up. So God picked a couple that figured it out. And make sure you don't eat anything unclean. Now, you can take that spiritually all you want to. There are some spiritual applications there. Obviously, you guys know we're guilty of all this right now in the condition and the culture and the ubiquitous nature of the things that we imbibe, feed upon spiritually and physically. We're guilty, are we not? Totally guilty. And we need God's mercy. Well, the last thing we are, sanctified people in the, in the larger um, comprehensive sense. So under point number three, the child is sanctified in the womb. This is, this is what we call shared obedience, shared obedience. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse 14. I won't unpack it fully, but I just want you to lift this one up and understand that the children are sanctified by the parents. Y'all got that? The children are sanctified by the parents. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. This is when, when, when folk just decide to get married and one of them say, one of them not. We got a lot of that going on. And so what God says to the saved person, all right, you, was, you acted unsaved when you married him. Now you're married. <laughs> you're going to get what you're going to get. I'm going to let you know now. You're going to get what you're going to get because you married it. I love the way the old reformed theologians used to say to men about a wife. Don't complain. You married her. Short and sweet, isn't it? <laughs> um, now act in a way to be a vehicle of sanctification to draw him or her nearer to God. Quit complaining. Act in a way to draw them nearer to God actually start living like a real believer now. Am I making some sense? Then all of a sudden when you have a child, same thing. The children are not born saved. I'm sorry, parents, your children are not born saved. Most of them are not born saved. Sometimes it happens, but most of the time it don't. You know what you got to do? When those children are born, you got to draw them near to God. 
You got to do everything you can to draw them near to God in Christ. Everything you can to draw them near to God in Christ. I'm not going to get too paternalistic here, but I am a father and a grandfather and I've been there and I've done that. And I knew the child in the womb because these texts were clear to me when I started church. I knew the child in the womb was special. I knew that they could hear what's going on in the bedroom. I knew they could hear. Read your Bible to them. Sing to them. Remember, they are the special audience in your life. So don't get the clown and acting a fool, arguing and, and going mayhem around them because you're going to disrupt them. The, that's why they're kicking and going on in the room. Will you stop all that? They kick, stop. I'm trying to rest. Man. <laughs> y'all stop. Y'all know what I'm saying is true. You see how carnal we are as, as people, which is super carnal. So the woman obviously was qualified to hear these specific instructions that are given to her husband. I love this. A few more minutes. I want you to mark this now. This is going to become extremely important. Look at verse 6 through verse 8. Notice what it says. Then the woman came and did what? Then the woman came and did what? Now I want to talk to you about why God would choose this kind of couple. Because the woman he could trust to not take this prophecy, this special revelation, and think that she gets to own it to herself and not take it and subordinate it under her husband. She knew immediately that all that God had revealed to her, she has to share with her husband because it won't get done without their collaboration. See, all the angel brought her was a what? A promise. Now, if she doesn't bring that promise to her husband and subordinate it to him in a way in which he can own it, they won't enter into the collateral process of propagation, conjugal relationships until there is a revelation of the promise fulfilled. Am I making some sense? Often this is what goes on among Christians. You think you can have God to yourself. When you're a couple, you can't. What's yours is his. What's yours is his. And the way God works it out, and this is called the collaboration of faith. And you guys know we've talked about that. We then as co-laborers together with God. That's what the marriage metaphor is about. God is not going to allow it to be done by you alone, but by your spouse. And so your husband has to know, the husband has to know. And this sister runs quickly home to her husband. And if you look at the next verse, I love it. Do you know the way the next verse is framed? Exactly the way the angel told her. That's how it's framed. Verse 8. Then Manoah entreated the Lord. I'm sorry. Go back to verse uh, 7. But he said unto me, behold, you shall conceive, bear a son, drink no wine, nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Exactly what the angel said. No less, no more. Y'all got that? In other words, she's not hiding anything from him. She's not distorting anything. 
She's not expanding it more so that she can have power over the prophecy. She knows this is not about her alone. This is a shared collaborative. See, now, if mom and daddy don't operate in this this principle of hierarchical collaboration, the child may not even get conceived. And then both of them will be in rebellion against God. And see, God know to choose a man and a woman that loves God. Can I keep talking for a few more minutes? So not only does this woman receive this special revelation from God relative to something that is impossible to be done, but she takes it to her husband because she knows the impossibility of it is removed by the affirmation, confirmation, and collaboration of her husband. It remains impossible until her husband approves of it. Did that come home? Please listen to me. He could have struggled with it. The ultimate Samson did. Mary comes to Joseph and says, hey, I'm pregnant. Joseph says, I'm out of here. You're not going to tell me I did it. Right? This is what we mean about the paradoxical nature of the gospel. It's so, it's so paradoxical that you got to take your time to understand whether or not we're dealing with special revelation that requires you to not worship the limitations of your own intellect. That makes sense. Let me back up and see if really is in, is, if God is in this or not. See, because again, you and I live in a, a fleshly culture in the which we really do often worship our intellect. We'll get stupid enough to think that that can't be the case. Now, her husband could have really thought she was just delusional. Couldn't he? He would say, what are you crazy? You tripping. And then there would have been a problem. So she came to him the proper way. She said no more and no less. She let the same power of divine truth in its explicit proclamation affect him as it affected her. And here's what I want you to own as I get ready to move. Understand that Manoah and his wife are on the same team. They know the same God. They love the same God. And they understand before them is that there's no way that all of the promises of God, which are yes and amen in Christ, can be true in them unless they're on the same page. Yes. And I love the way this works out. Are you ready? Look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. Verse eight. Then the husband prayed. It is. It is. See it? He believed his wife and then he began to call upon God. Sincerely called upon God. Remember what's going on here. The promise is a miracle. The promise is supernatural. The promise is not logical. The promise is not a mere contingent of mechanisms. This here is a supernatural promise for which the husband now is going in totally to pray to God. You got a woman who has had a special revelation from God. You got a man that's praying. That couple is in good shape. Well, you are listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. 
Closing out our time together today, we invite you to reach out to us. Let us know how the program encourages you in your walk with Christ. Questions, comments, prayer requests are always welcome. You can either write to us, give us a call, or stop by our website and drop us an email. Now, the best place to go, of course, is the website. Not only will you be able to write to us via email, you'll be able to get more information about who we are, what we believe, worship times, how to get here. Grace-Bible.com is our website. Again, that's Grace-Bible.com. If you wish to give us a call, the number is 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, our address is 22768 Main Street. That's 22768 Main Street. Here in Hayward, the zip code 94541. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. One final note as we close out our time today, this program is listener-supported. If you wish to partner with us, we would be more than grateful. This broadcast airs throughout the Bay Area, as well as online, impacting thousands for the sake of Christ. And that is our hope and our goal. If you'd like to partner with us along those lines, feel free to write or give us a call. No gift is too large, no gift too small, whether a one-time gift or a monthly support. You're more than welcome to reach out. We would love to partner with you as we minister the gospel of Jesus to the Bay Area and the World Wide Web. Thank you for spending time with us today. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace.